stubborn, angry, reactive, impulsive, passionate, reckless, tenacious. Anybody getting an image of a person in your head? I have one, and as Paul shares in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, summarize, but for the grace of God, I am what I am. In my younger years, well, I was a lot. Still had that energy, but didn't know how to put it to good use necessarily. Finding Steve helped. He keeps me stable. He lets me be me and still holds me accountable when I get off track. <clears throat> Finding a mentor helped. Several mentors, actually. They helped me find ways to control that impulsivity, keeping a book for Jack's baseball games. Some people thought I did that because I was good with numbers and, and tracing detail. I say I did it to keep me quiet during the games and not yell at, not yell at the umpires. So when I listen to the music of Hamilton, thank you, thank you, thank you. When I hear his competitiveness, his arrogance, his push forward to victory no matter the cost, well, I get it, I get it. Alexander Hamilton was this bundle of energy, and he didn't always use that energy to good purpose. He made mistakes, and even with those mistakes, there's a lesson. Brian Stevenson is the author of Just Mercy, and he's an attorney and founder of the Equal Justice Initiative, and he's, he wrote it this way, each of us is more than the worst thing we've ever done. I heard that reference once in relation to Jesus' disciple, Peter. He was rash and impulsive, sometimes known to have an anger problem. And yet, Jesus shares that it's Peter, the rock upon whom that church will be built. Peter is more than the worst thing that he's ever done, and so is Alexander Hamilton, and so are we all, actually. But that got me wondering if there's other similarities between Hamilton and Peter. And of course the answer is yes. And I'm going to share three that I see with you today. And the common thread between Hamilton and Peter that I see are the relationships and the lessons that are learned from those relationships. So let's start with Hamilton and Washington. Washington was, George Washington, was Hamilton's first mentor. At least in the musical, that's how we see it. He's the general of the Revolutionary War. He's someone who can contain all of that energy that Alexander has and channel it in the right direction in his writing and keeping track of details. And this relationship journey follows a pathway very similar to Jesus and Peter. Jesus calls to Peter in Matthew 4, Come, follow me, and I'll teach you how to fish for people. And right away he left his nets, nets and followed him. Hamilton didn't want to be secretary. He wanted to fight. Listen to this exchange. Washington, it's all right. You want to fight. You've got a hunger. Hamilton, Washington, I was just like you when I was younger head full of fantasies of dying like a martyr. And Hamilton says, yes. And Washington says, dying is easy, young man. Living is harder. Peter was a fisherman, 
Jesus called him to be more. Washington called Hamilton to be his right-hand man during the war and even after asked for more. Peter becomes an apostle in Matthew 10. Washington asked Hamilton to be the secretary of the treasury in the, in the cabinet to help set up a government and treasury, which becomes a bit of a challenge and a conflict for them later on with, with Thomas Jefferson. And over the years, these, both of these relationships grow. Hamilton like a son to Washington. But then both Peter and Hamilton hear something they don't like. Jesus tells the story of death and resurrection in Matthew 16. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he had to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and legal experts, and that he had to be killed and raised on the third day. Then Peter took hold of Jesus and, scolding him, began to correct him. God forbid, Lord, this will not happen to you. But he turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stone that could make me stumble, for you are not thinking God's thoughts, but human thoughts. Saying goodbye. None of us want to say goodbye. Let's keep things stable and consistent. Everything's working fine as it is. Washington counsels Hamilton on why and how to say goodbye. He says, no one last time. The people will hear from me. I'm not going to run again for president. One last time. And if we get this right, we're going to teach him how to say goodbye, you and I, Alexander. And Alexander replies, Mr. President, they'll say we're weak. No, Washington says, they will see that we're strong. If I say goodbye, the nation learns to move on. It outlives me when I'm gone. And like the scripture says, everyone shall sit under their own vine and fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. They'll be safe in the nation we've made. I want to sit under my own vine and fig tree, a moment alone in the shade, at home in the nation we've made. One last time. Washington tells Hamilton for the nation to grow into what they can imagine Washington must go. Jesus says it this way in John 16, I assure you that it's better for you that I go away. If I don't go away, the companion will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. The lesson from this relationship, this Washington-Hamilton-Jesus-Peter relationship, our mentors, our leaders, our Christ leaves us eventually, but they leave us with the lessons that help us to keep the kingdom of God moving forward. The lesson of Washington, Hamilton, Jesus, and Peter. And that second relationship I want to talk about, Hamilton and everyone else in the government, the Burrs, the Jeffersons, the Madisons, everyone else, this relationship is defined by competition and angst and jealousy. They all want to be in the room where it happens. 
It's a big question for those with a competitive spirit. Who is greater? It's referenced in Mark 9. They entered Capernaum, and when they had come into the house, he, Jesus, asked them, what were you arguing about during that journey? And they didn't respond, since on the way they had been debating with each other about who was the greatest. He sat down, Jesus did, called the twelve and said to them, whoever wants to be first must be least of all and the servant of all. So here's the thing with Hamilton. He's arrogant. He's good and he knows it. He's in the room, but he wants to be the head of the table too. He has a choice. He can force his way in, be competitive with the others, laud the fact that he's actually in the room when others are not. Basically, he can assume he's the best by the standards that society has set. But in the kingdom of God, we're all in the room. We're all at the table. In just a little while, we'll share the sacrament of Holy Communion. And the table is prepared and we'll join together as equals to receive and acknowledge the abundant grace that God has given us. It's at this table where there's no first and last. There's no higher order. Everyone is invited because God's table is a table of grace where we know we're better than our last worst mistake. Human instinct is to try to order things, right? People in the good and the bad. But this binary labeling isn't how God asks us to order this world. Jesus shares with us that there are two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your strength. And a second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So like Hamilton and his compadres, we might want to place labels on each other. This person is awful. That person is brilliant. But it's so much more than that. The lesson is here from this relationships, and it's this. Love doesn't discriminate between the sinners and the saints. It's on our sign on the corner. Love means love and all means all. We're all in the room where it happens. And unfortunately, the last relationship is one that I relate to, Hamilton versus himself. Peter's denial. We hear that story often. We hear that story a lot. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Tonight you will all fall away because of me. This is because it's written, I will hit the shepherd, the sheep of the flock will go off in all directions. But after I'm raised up, I'll go before you to Galilee. Peter replied, if anyone else stumbles because of you, I'll never stumble. And Jesus said to him, I assure you that before the rooster crows tonight, you will deny me three times. And Peter said, even if I must die alongside you, I won't deny you. And all of the disciples said the same thing. And he does. After Jesus is taken off, Peter denies one, two, three times. And Peter went out and cried uncontrollably. Early in the musical, Angelica Schuyler tries to warn her sister Eliza about, Elias, about Alexander's nature, his impulsivity. 
And it turns out she's right. In her song, she shares with all three of them, Alexander, Eliza, Angelica, he will never be satisfied. Without saying it outright, Angelica is saying that Hamilton is at war with himself, that impulsive, not really thinking about other people self. And in the song Burn, Eliza shares, do you know what Angelica said when she saw your first letter arrive? She said, be careful with that one, love. He will do what it takes to survive. Jesus warned Peter, be careful. Even you, the rock, will betray me. And Peter doesn't believe it. No, never, not me, and yet. In the second act, Hamilton has the opportunity to spend time with his family or stay back for work, which is also pretty important. He was creating our finance and treasury department. He was pushing through his plan to pay off all the debts of the war lest we be a bankrupt nation. And instead of going upstate with his family, he decides to stay. And when a young woman comes looking for money, he does the right thing. He gives it to her, but he also betrays Eliza in the most intimate way. And that betrayal is something he has to learn to live with. First, for himself. And then when Jefferson and Madison and Burr find record of the payments that he continued to make to this woman... Hamilton has a decision to make. And he comes clean in the form of a pamphlet titled The Reynolds Pamphlet, in which he denies that he has participated in what he's accused of, financial speculation, but he lays forth what he is guilty of, an affair. He betrays his wife, his family, his legacy, and his integrity publicly. And he finds himself alone, turned away from the busyness and foregoing any chance that he might have been elected president. Turned away from Eliza. Be careful, he's warned, even the most loyal struggle with their impulses. The lesson, the lesson here are decisions that we make, especially the impulsive ones that aren't spirit-led. They impact others, often hurting those we claim to love thinking of ourselves less and others more. This is the love that Jesus asks us to practice every day. Think of ourselves less and others more. So these are the three relationships that I, that I find commonality between Peter's nature and Hamilton's nature. But there's one relationship that I've barely mentioned, except in the worst thing Hamilton's ever done, and that's the relationship with Eliza. How does it come in this story that Eliza can even forgive him? She's so hurt and pained and humiliated that she burns the letters that Alexander's written over time. And these letters are ones that, that explain that he really is a loving and wonderful father and cared for his family. They could at least point to a better character trait than betrayal. And then... And then their son dies in a duel. Even when Hamilton gives guidance to be the better man to his son Philip, to shoot to the sky, the other man does not have that honor and shoots Philip, and he dies. And this common shared pain is something that Eliza and Alexander share together, and it draws them closer. 
will hear the song during communion. They're going through the unimaginable. Hamilton asks for forgiveness, and Eliza offers it at first in the very smallest gesture by holding his hand. That gentle touch that gives us each strength. They live their lives quiet uptown, together, learning to love again. In the most painful way, they're reminded that life is short, and living it in love and forgiveness is a strong way to peace. It's quiet uptown, but there's love. Today, we recognize All Saints Day, a time where we recognize those who have died over the past year. It's when we recognize those who have had and have significant influence over our lives. Those who have helped us to be all we are, have guided us in our spiritual journey and encouraged us in faith. But the Wesleyan tradition doesn't just recognize those who have died and who have passed. We recognize those amongst us who are living the great cloud of witnesses who gather around us and lift us up and help us to live our best lives, loving each other just as Christ loved us. It's a day when we can share the stories of those who have had a significant and positive impact on our faith journey. In John chapter 21, 15 through 19, Jesus and Peter are on the beach and Jesus is sharing a breakfast. When they finished eating, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Simon replied, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. And Jesus asked a second time, Simon, Peter, son of John, do you love me? And Simon replied, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus said to him, take care of my sheep. And he asked a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was sad that Jesus was asking him a third time, do you love me? And he replied, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Jesus asked Peter to share these stories, to continue the lessons, to build the church, to love one another. And the final song of the musical, you heard it before, who lives, who dies, who shares your story? Jefferson and Madison finally give Hamilton credit. The new financial system is a success. And Eliza, she continues sharing the story and creates her own. She feeds the people. She cares for the neighbor. She interviews and writes about all the people Alexander impacted with his legacy. She raises funds for the Washington Monument, a tribute to Hamilton's mentor. She advocates for an end to slavery, something she's sure that Alexander would have done if he had more time. And in tribute to Alexander's late commitment to their family and their children, Eliza establishes the first private orphanage in New York City. She sings that in her eyes, she sees Alexander 
And I have to think that what she sees is not the worst of him, but all the good that he did in his life. Jesus tells Peter to care for his sheep, to feed them. And on this All Saints Day, I ask you, how are we living our life as a tribute to a loving God? Who are the saints in your life? Those that are gone and those that remain. What stories do we share to lift each other up? What stories of love and forgiveness to help us grow in faith? Who lives? Who dies? Who shares the story of God who loves us and showers us with an abundance of grace, no matter our mistakes? We do, and may it ever be so. Amen.